0: another edition of old-school guns the podcast that tells you exactly like it is and this is episode number 189 number one eight nine so anyway I've got a few things here on the the front end kind of out of order so I'll try to put some better better order first of all uh, there's this guy Alejandro Mayorquez, who is a trader in A scumbag an incompetent whatever you want to say I mean he's he's awful and he's responsible for homeland security which includes border security and he's awful about it they tried to impeach him but a couple of blockheads and this is the problem when you only have this little tiny slim majority it only takes one or two guys to um, you know throw a wrench into the works but anyway he they failed to impeach him Uh, This is the most clear-cut case of an impeachable offense and just grotesque incompetence you can imagine. Uh, We have no idea who came in the country. We have no idea. And, I mean, they're doing specials down there. Everybody kind of assumes, well, it's just people from Mexico kind of want to come over here, get a better life, or work for a while and go back. They're finding all kinds of people from all over the world are slipping in. We have no idea who they are no idea where they are if that isn't a security threat I don't know and yet and yet our government wants to spend billions and it'll get up to a trillion pretty soon uh... helping enforce the borders of ukraine Hmm, that's pretty strange i mean even a country like israel which has a very tight border and one would assume very excellent border security um one would assume that they would have very little problem but we just saw this last fall that they actually have huge problems um you know when you have people in paragliders flying over the border and then you know wholesale killing people at music festivals that is that is bet you know taking 250 people hostage yeah, that must be a Middle Eastern thing. Taking people hostage. I like. I think hostage taking should be a capital, international capital crime. You know, there's no place you can go, no place you can hold, hold up, and you get executed for it. That's just how I view it. Because look what you're doing to another person. But that's just me. And getting back, even if you have strict border control you can still have massive problems and we don't have it and we are going to have massive problems there's no two ways around it um there's no two ways around it and uh look at look at what happened in new york city the cops getting beat up. that's just the tip of the iceberg that is joe biden's new america and he and his you know followers his band of merry men and women uh... That's the kind of country they're doing, and, and they're the ones who just can't understand. They can't understand why this happens. That when you take you, that if you give people all kinds of things, why aren't they happy? And uh, well, because you can't give them enough because they're greedy, and because they they're just here to get things. And so we we shouldn't give anything to them except a ticket back to where they belong. Well, enough about those dolts. Of course, the NRA trial is still kind of going on. And, you know, there's there's nothing really new there. We Everybody kind of knew for a couple of years now that Wayne LaPierre was sort of dipping into the money. Um, you know, and it's it's really not about the suits. I, I guess there are helicopter rides and, and and a few other things. Compared to something like the Clinton Foundation, though, or Black Lives Matter, or some of these other organizations, the NRA is comparatively clean. Is it perfect? No. Uh, But it's comparatively clean. Um, Look at what happens even, what was the one that had a scandal, the Wounded Warrior Foundation? I can't remember who it was, but one of the ones that was helping wounded veterans. Um, They had a big deal where, you know, all of a sudden you find out that a lot of the money that you think is going there to help isn't being eaten up in other other costs quote unquote so uh you know i would not want to be um you know and when you look at the entire scope of all these organizations and the amount of corruption that's in them the nra is fairly clean so um to me this is just not a big deal my my thing is where is the nra going to go um I think it needs to be a bit more activist. But I think that the the thing that the NRA offers that other gun organizations don't, they're always politically focused. And, you know, that's that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But the NRA has that whole training and competition, the youth uh, programs, all of those, all those great programs that Nobody really pays much attention to now. They're there, and people use them, but they don't get a lot of uh, attention. And those are great programs. For no other reason, you should support the NRA because of those programs. Which brings me back to the Freedom Riders, the people who won't join the NRA, but enjoy their gun rights. Gun rights, and they enjoy the competitions, and they enjoy all that. Um, But they're too cheap or too short-sighted to actually join the NRA. You know, I mean, it's, for what you get in return, it's actually a pretty good deal. You get a magazine, and they got several choices. And, you know, the American Rifleman used to be kind of a dowdy, um, kind of very, I would call it FUD-oriented. Now, though, they, they cover tactical stuff. It's, is, it, is it like some of the other magazines that solely focus on that? No, but it, it gives you a good general... Uh, thing. it's not a bad magazine not a bad magazine at all. So you get that and then you get all the other the other little things and can be in the competitions and and uh, take take part in that and they have training programs all those good things. So next time you run into a freedom writer you might want to point that out uh, next thing oh you know have have you heard heard the latest buzzword? that of course anti-gunners are using and that's military grade ammunition now what military grade ammunition is is ammunition that is actually less lethal than hunting ammunition due to the fact that it has to conform to the uh, Geneva and Hague conventions so it's not allowed to be hollow point soft point it's got to be kind of full metal jacket and uh, you know people who are Signatories of those of those international agreements, uh, they produce ammunition like that. Now, against terrorists, you can use uh, hollow points and more lethal ammunition. However, they usually don't, simply because all the weapons we have are designed to take essentially Geneva and Hague Convention um, conformal ammunition. So, so that's what they use. There, there you go. But they want to make this illegal just just as a way to hassle gun owners this is just another if they can put enough barriers up to buying and possessing and using weapons um, they will do so and uh, this is just another trick so think about that when you hear that you can you can also uh, call bs on that when somebody pipes up with that uh talk quick about the shot show they, I don't really follow the SHOT Show that much. There's always some big announcement, and sometimes it's real, and sometimes it's smoke and mirrors, face it. Um, there's a lot of things that are announced at the SHOT Show that never seem to show up. Um, <laughs> semi-automatic STG-44s are a... are what? The STG-44, being the German first assault rifle, looks very cool. Uh, very cool gun. But... You know some people have wanted to put that kind of into the semi-automatic only production and you know they've, it's been tried I think two three times now and it's failed every time so allegedly another company is even gonna try it we'll see what happens but uh, you know th- there's a lot of things that come out at the SHOT show and you know when it's a company like Brownells you can pretty much count that they're gonna put it on the market uh, and there's a lot of stuff that comes out and people look at it and go, man, I'd like to buy that. That is cool. I'd like to buy that. And then when it comes out on the market, they never buy it. And to a degree, I'm one of them. Uh, I have always been fascinated by the original, you know, the Stoner Fairchild AR-10s. You know, that looks like a big a, early model AR-15, except it's in 7.62 NATO. I've seen those in books, and and I always thought that was a very cool rifle. Well, you know, what was it, some years ago when Brownells started producing a semi-automatic version that was pretty reminiscent of all that, wasn't exact, but it's pretty close. Um, I looked at it and said, man, I'm going to buy one of those. I've always been fascinated with them. Here it is. I'm going to buy it. Well, it took a little while to get to market. And when it did uh, they had a couple things uh, one the the plastic furniture didn't really all look that great it didn't look like the original uh, um, I guess it was fiberglass uh, furniture that that it had you know so it didn't really look good that way uh, another way it um, it also had a problem the front sight wasn't really adjustable so it was like you were zero to 300 yards and that was it you know you you couldn't uh, you had to do holdovers and hold unders for the other ranges so it, it really had, was a little bit problematic that didn't really dissuade me too much um what did dissuade me was the other 7.62 nato gun i really wanted was the israeli fal and when dsa started with those uh, that's what i went with so i said hey i'm gonna buy one of these to being one of those guys who when it came out on the market i didn't i bought something else and a couple of reasons for that i really like the fal i've always liked the looks of the israeli uh, version the handguard is cool everything about it's cool and uh you know I, i the other thing is it's a heavier rifle so that it's it's going to have less perceived recoil that was another worry I had with the uh, the the Brownells AR-10 BRN-10 I think they call it BRN-10 and they actually had two versions a regular version and a lighter weight version And lighter weight one I wasn't interested in at all for precisely that reason so anyway uh, yeah I was one of those guys who said I'll buy it and never did now what I did buy is when they introduced their Proto AR which was an ar-15 that had the top mounted uh um you know trigger type charging handle and and all that that gave me the look and all the stuff i wanted in a cartridge i use anyway 556 in a really lightweight gun that didn't have recoil so i bought one of those so i guess i'm only half a faker because i did buy the later (laughs) version that addressed some of the concerns i had with the brn10 so Um, and those are those are good choices but my point is a lot of things come out people say yeah I want to buy that then a company brings it to market and nobody really buys it because what's cool at the moment may not be it may be that it's at a price point they can't afford or there's other priorities so um, a lot of things that have some hoopla and the reason we're mentioning that is apparently there's some hoopla over an F over the FNC um, a company in Malaysia is go, it, that makes licensed copy or a licensed version of the FNC has got a semi-automatic one that and nobody even knows if they've checked this with the ATF they've gotten the the uh, uh, permission to import it nobody knows if they've worked through all that it just they kind of show up at the SHOT show and say hey we have these and our intention is to bring them to market whether we actually see them I don't know so what do I think about that well um, I think they're cool. I like the FNC. I think it's cool. Um, my experience with them has been with the military versions because the civilian versions were were very rare. Um, it's I, I mean, but you got to kind of know what you're buying. You are buying an AR fifteen SP one slash uh, M sixteen A one era technology weapon. You know, skinny barrel. Um, doesn't mount optics very easily um, you know it takes NATO stay mags which is nice it's a very very nice little gun but it's not cutting-edge technology it's it's more of a retro gun I would say that I would put it in the retro gun category and uh, the the one advantage it has is that uh, you know the stock folds and you can still actuate the weapon you know no problem because it it doesn't have a buffer or anything in the uh, buttstock so that's nice the big debit it has is that it has no bolt hold open and that's actually one of our questions later on so i'll i'll address that then but uh, that's what the um that's what the thing is so um i would be very i'd be wary i mean it's a cool gun and especially if you want it for a collection You want it to see you know, it's and and what the price will be, who knows? I assume my assumption always is that it's going to be rather pricey because that's just the way everything everything's pricey now. So that's that's probably it. Okay, that is basically all we have for all the stuff. You could talk hours and hours and hours about all the rest of it, you know. I mean um you know, the country's in real trouble. Nobody, everybody's just kind of worried about Super Bowls and Taylor Swift and all the rest of this. I mean, you look at the news, that's, you know, five Marines are killed in a helicopter crash, and that's kind of, you know, put on the same, crowded onto the page where it's about Taylor Swift, it's about something else, it's about, you know, all the Super Bowl hoopla. You know, you really kind of look at that and you say, "Man, that the the average news consumer just can't be that stupid." But but they are. So there you go. Okay, we will go to questions and answers, my favorite part of the podcast. And uh, you know, we'll start off with that first thing: the bolt hold open. How important is it? And I would say that. To me, it's a red line. I do hold it against a design when it does not have a bolt hold open. And I'm talking about the legitimate ones, not the goofy magazines that have a follower that sticks up and blocks the bolt when they're empty. And, you know, that. then you got to pull them out, usually against the force of the bolt, and then put a new one in and cycle the bolt again. The AAR system is so much better. I mean, it's so much better. And it's not the only one to use that, but you know as, as an example it is so much better for an individual that's really important that is really important now if you're in a squad and it's like the AK doesn't have one the G3 doesn't have one um, the C does not have one um, you know somebody is going to be covering you while you're manipulating your your deal now to find out that you're out of ammunition Usually, know when you're kind of running low, but you know, you're going to be pointing at something and your rifle's going to go click. You're going to have to remove the magazine, put a new one in, and cycle the bolt in order to uh, uh, get going again. That takes precious seconds. With the AR, it's like you can feel the distinctive difference. You know it's back. You pop the magazine, put a new one in hit the button and the, and the bolt goes forward. Okay. That's a lot easier. It's about half the time of fooling with it. Now I've seen guys with the AKs, you know, the, the using their, uh, weak hand to reach under the rifle and cycle the bolt. That's all a bunch of, I mean, it looks good. And if you're good at it, you can make it look pretty good. I don't see that being very practical, especially in different shooting positions, using cover and things like that. Um, it just seems pretty ridiculous um i've actually been a proponent of and they hate this but hey while you're reaching under the rifle and trying to manipulate the bolt um, i think it's faster to use your weak hand push the rifle back into your strong side shoulder like you were going to fire just take your hand off the trigger manipulate the bolt and then go back on the trigger a lot that's just easier these aren't DMRs we're talking about. These aren't sniper rifles. We're not. We're not talking about those. These are, you know, um, intermediate cartridge fighting rifles. So there you go. So the bolt hold open is very important to me as an individual user. I really don't want to have a gun that tells me, "Hey, surprise! I'm empty." You might have thought there were three or four more rounds in it, but no. And there are ways around it that are they're they're little in a, in a civilian context they're tougher to to, uh, um, to execute but yes you can load the first four rounds or three rounds into your magazine as tracers and that way they're the last ones out so when you start seeing red or green uh, from the tracer rounds you know hey it's time to time to switch and that will give you a heads up that's not a bad that's not a bad technique but you have to have tracer rounds and, and a few other things. So um, and for recreational shooting there's there's it's problematic shooting tracers in a lot of places. So anyway, that's what's that's what's happening with that. Boldo bolt hold open is very important. Okay number two, why didn't US police adopt semi auto pistols after World War I or for that matter after World War II? Uh, I think that there were probably several reasons. Number one, um, one of the great things about America is we got revolvers right. I mean, we kind of quickly passed through the, compared to other countries, we quickly passed through the uh, uh, loading gate, single loading, single action phase, and got into the double action swing out cylinder. And we perfected those. The first couple go rounds weren't very good. Um thinking about the colt you know uh, 38 long colt double actions which always have some sort of timing issues but once we got past that got into cartridges like 38 special uh, 44 special even 45 acp in the uh, 1917 revolvers we basically we got it right and built on that success if you look at revolvers from other countries and really they they dropped off after world war one they they kind of plummeted but you look at some of the designs that were used in world war one I, I mean there's some of the crankiest looking you know a revolver anyway is 19th century technology it's it's springs you know it's bearing surfaces it's it's all of that it's all mechanical but the um you know some of those some of the european revolvers you look at those and you know what is it the gasser and the montenegro revolver and some of these other ones they they you know and, and the list goes on and on you could literally put like 20 even the you know the Nagant revolvers you know um they really had in some cases terrible trigger pulls in some cases, very awkward to load and manipulate. Um, in fact, I would say that uh, a lot of the European revolvers, unless they were just directly copying an American revolver, um, they did not improve them at all. And so, therefore, it became a kind of a dead-end thing for them, a dead-end technology. And they went heavily semi-automatic after World War One, And, you know, we stayed with revolvers until the 1980s they're good reliable powerful uh, a lot of great all the great revolver attributes were just enhanced by refining the designs so that you know you had things like cold pythons and and some of the great smith and wesson revolvers which were really the the epitome of of revolvers um, and you had those like you know those were hitting hitting the market in the 1960s 50s the 1950s 1960s was really the apex of of the revolver so yeah we kept it the reason they didn't go for it and a few did a few i'm sure a few agencies uh, used semi-automatics like 1911s would be really the, the predominant one i can think of but you know um it just didn't catch on so there you go okay here's another question is eight millimeter mauser eight by 57 mauser really equivalent to the 30-06 um i would say that it, it can be um it very much can be the problem is at long range it's really not because it's got a a, a bit thicker diameter bullet so it's not gonna weigh out there um the, uh, to me, the limitation with a lot of European calibers, and this is seven six two by fifty four rimmed, this is three oh three British, and this is eight millimeter Mauser, um, and and there are others. You can add others to the list. Um, the the problem is that a lot of times we wind up shooting surplus ammo, which is old, and it's not meant for match quality. Where you know you can find pretty much match what we would what we would consider in the old days match quality 30-06 is pretty much available off the shelf right now so even ppu makes really good quality 30-06 so uh, you have that now you say well ppu makes you know 8x57 mauser and 303 and they're probably pretty good the other thing that that really hurts those foreign military calibers, is the varying condition and manufacturing tolerances of the rifles. Um, You know, the fact of the matter is U.S. um, weapons in .30-06 from the 1903 to the 1917 to the M1 to the 03A3 Uh, you know we had very high standards of manufacturing the barrels are very were very very tight tolerances Um, they actually shoot very 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 well uh, compared to everything else which is why you see them even after eighty years performing so well Uh, you don't see a lot of variance in uh, land and groove diameter just don't so other countries, and you know part of that is other countries weren't really making those those guns they weren't, weren't making them at all so you know it's very rare to find a military rifle in 30-06 that's non-us there were a couple in south america um, and a couple of those may have even been conversions and you know there was i think i may be wrong i don't i'm not sure that the fn-49 it may have had a sub a small very vari- a small number variant that was in 30-06 but um, it's just rare to find those, so um, you don't have this. But eight millimeter Mauser, you had lots of different countries making them, lots of different countries, you know, arsenally redoing them on and on and on. So, um, you know that that also creates a problem. And you also, when it comes to thirty out six, you really don't have. You had a few countries make it. Um, Turkey made some. Uh, Greece made some trying to think i guess denmark might have made some because they use 30-06 quite extensively but really not that not that much there's not that much for a korea used m1s so they made 30-06 but it's not like uh, the other um, countries that we're using eight millimeter Mauser and I'm, 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 I'm doing the Joe Biden thing here, but I'm trying to think, and, and you're thinking that, you know, it was produced in China, everywhere from China to Germany to, you know, all around the world. And so a lot of different countries made eight millimeter and, uh, you know, so you're, you're going to have manufacturing differences and, you know, as cartridges evolve, there's always an evolutionary process whereby they come out and, you know, maybe they go from round nose to spitzer, maybe they change the, uh, um, the powder loading a little bit or the powder to accommodate a semi-automatic and you know, something, something like that. So um, a lot of cartridges go through an evolutionary process, 303 British being one of the biggest ones I can think of. So that's why you, you know, it's very hard to say that these other things are equivalent. Um, on a side note though uh, tomorrow is Red Dawn Kansas for those of us here in the area and there's probably 25 or 30 participants going to be there and uh, I am going to use my uh, 98k which is a very late war example still finally made and I'm using uh, some ammunition I've never shot so if if there are a bunch of I will probably have to take something else just in case there are a few duds, <laughs> take some extra ammo. But yeah, I'm going to shoot surplus ammo out of a surplus gun, and because that's part of the re, the fun of Red Dawn, Kansas, is you you take out these guns that you never really have used except for just maybe as range toys or plinking, and, and just kind of put them through a little bit of a a course, you know. So that's that's what I'm going to do with that. Ooh, can I rechamber a number one Remington Rolling Block from 43 Spanish to 577 Snyder? Uh, I think that is possible because there were, I do believe, some Remington Rolling Blocks in 58... Was it 58 Rimfire or something like that? I know they were in a 50 Rimfire. It may be possible, but it would be fantastically expensive and problematic to deal with the... Um, to my mind the biggest problem with that is is the room in the receiver which there probably is but then you've got to accommodate the uh, extractor and that may prove to be too. do it will take a talented gunsmith to do that you are much better off going if you really want to first of all the best thing you can do if you've got good rifling if you've got a good bore is just figure out how to make 43 Mauser, or Mauser, or 43 Spanish ammunition uh, that fits the rifle. If you're absolutely determined to rechamber it, um, I would go with 4570 first because that will require the fewest alterations to things, and uh, then I would go to uh, 5070. That's what I would do as you know if you've been listening to the podcast I have a fifty seventy 70 rolling block I bought a few months back and man is that a great rifle it's a lot of fun so um, yeah fifty seventy is one of those sleeper calibers people really don't don't talk about it or think about it much but it's a lot of fun but all of those older black powder cartridge rifle cartridges are fun uh, some are just you know the rifles are out there but unfortunately ammo and components and, and doing some and learning some new things like paper patching bullets and a few of that's still on my to-do list is to kinda of do that I actually have some stuff now where I could I could try that but you know getting the right mold the right the right everything um, can be a bit challenging and it's going to be another you know learn by doing adventure which is actually when it comes to stuff and guns that's a lot of fun actually actually a lot of fun as a matter of fact if you like historical guns i would say that they're actually a pretty decent buy on the market i know that sounds weird but um you know when you're looking at what guns go for now um they're pretty they're pretty still pretty economical you you get a if you look around especially and if you're willing to accept a specimen that might have been altered. Um, you can you can find them at reasonably attractive prices and uh, uh, go ahead and uh, you know and enjoy it. I mean uh, uh, they're 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 a lot of fun. Uh, I do not have the patience for muzzle loading rifles, be it a smoothbore musket or a later rifled musket. Sorry about my phone going off in the background. I guess telemarketing is still alive and well um yeah i just i just don't do the muzzle loading things i might do it at some point though i i am when i was younger i was a service rifle guy i mean i would just wanted to do service rifle and you know and all that kind of stuff now I've, i am more interested in older rifles but uh it, i've really been focusing on black powder cartridge so uh that's that's it but i do like them and uh they are they are Wonderful entertainment and their, their outstanding history. And if you haven't seen it, the uh, British Muzzle Loaders um, on YouTube is pretty good. Now, I don't have much use for YouTube, I'll tell you that, since I've been kicked off it for telling the truth about the 2020 election and the COVID vaccine both of those are, are are horrible crimes against the state but um, the british muzzle loaders that's about the gun content i can i can i, I like it i can watch it uh, unlike some of the other stuff so here's a question this is this is pretty wide open is walther a good manufacturer for firearms uh, yes they don't make anything i'm really interested in anymore so um you know when they quit you know i was kind of i First of all, I love older Walthers, you know, PP, PPK, P-38, P-1. Once they kind of got past the P-5 and the P-88 and started making, you know, plastic guns, becoming basically uh, Glock Germany, um, yeah, I've, I've kind of fallen off with them. And I think they make even a steel frame, you know, the funny part is they had these, these guns, which were plastic guns. And then they came out with a target version of it. So you have the polymer frame gun target version. And they basically kind of looked at it and said, we just, it just doesn't perform the way we want. So they came out with a steel framed version of their polymer gun so that you could actually, you know, shoot target with it. And, uh, you know it's 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 a very nice gun i suppose and you know it does what it's supposed to do but um really i like the older walters so are they a good manufacturer yes i think they have good quality and they they do seem to stand behind their products um but i they don't really make anything uh they still make a ppk or ppks i think they, they make you know so they still make that but um It's pretty much, uh, it doesn't look, it doesn't exude the quality finish that the uh, older Walther uh, PPKs and PPKSs have. Uh, It looks too kind of cookie cutter CNC machine made to me. So anyway, that's just, that's it. But yes, they are a good manufacturer. No, no question. Why is the Browning High Power still popular? It's been reintroduced by a couple of companies recently. Well, because it's a very good design and because it is steel frame. I think that's part of its, it's a steel frame, steel gun. It, it may be considered heavy by, you know, modern quote standards, quote unquote standards, but um, it's robust, it's reliable, it's, it has a good feel to it, uh, it's balanced well. It's high enough capacity. It used to be one of the highest capacity autoloaders out there. Now it's, it's uh, that's not an advantage. I mean, unless you had some sort of uh, I think they make 15 rounders for it. I think our friend of the podcast has got he, he was telling me about 15 round magazines uh, for it that do not protrude below the butt. And if you want to have some that stick out, I think you can go up to all kinds of things. But Ah, uh, it's a very good gun. That's, that's why very simple. That's the ni- beauty of it. It's a very simple, nice gun. Um, you know, it is a single action only. It does not have a grip safety. So it's got the thumb safety, which is more than adequate, which is more than more fine than fine. But, um, it's a very nice gun and a lot of people have used it. A lot of people liked it. I think, uh, I think Skeeter Skelton used one and really, really liked it. Thought it was a great gun. So, you know, Skeeter Skelton, the great gun writer of the 60s and 70s and 80s uh, law enforcement guy. So, uh, yeah, so he liked it. So, uh, it's still popular and I think there's, there's a bit of a nostalgia thing with it, but I think that's also, it also performs very, very well. So, it's kind of one of those guns that those who know, know and those who don't know don't know. So next question: Do you prep? Uh, I am not a prepper as far as like the what you would consider the traditional prepper. Uh, I do believe you have to have stuff to uh, sustain yourself over over you know intermittent periods. And just this last winter, this last you know uh, uh, big weather we had in January. Hey, I was actually snowed in at my place up in uh, northern Missouri. I was actually snowed in there for a couple days and I had stuff that uh, that made it work, you know. And uh, fortunately, the power did not go out. But if it had, you know, I had, you know, an army mummy bag and a few other things that, that I've accrued over the years and those things will work. Uh, they will work. Uh, you know, keep you warm. So... Um, and there was other other ways to cook and and warm things so um you know i I would not consider I do not have like 800 rolls of toilet paper and you know hidden in all my closets. I don't have all that, but I do have um you know supplies to get me through something like a snowstorm or some other some other uh, catastrophe where you know my mobility is limited so that's that's about it. I'm not very exciting. I would refer you to. There's prepping podcasts. There's all that. And you can go to the level um, of that that you wish. You know, that's the, that's the deal. Okay, here is another question which is interesting. I would like a simple, low-cost DMR. What are good options? Uh, DMR, designated marksmanship designated marksman rifle not marksmanship but marksman rifle Uh, a marksman rifle is going to be a bit more of a precision rifle than obviously the open-sided battle rifle or or uh, intermediate cartridge rifle and it's i mean implied there it's going to have some sort of an optic a magnified optic so i i would say that you know depending on what you let me let me go back a a step um if you if you believe that you have a threat that's going to be more than 100 yards away the legal grounds of engaging that target is something you should check very carefully because even in a Lack of rule of law uh, situation. When rule of law comes back, they may investigate who was shooting at who and and uh, seeing how that transpires. But putting all that aside, you want to be able to hit. And maybe maybe it's marauding coyotes. Maybe it's like, hey, I need to I need to basically uh, um, go to war with these things because I've got a chicken coop and I've got other farm animals that. Will become you know my subsistence and you know so you know there's a lot more on the line than than just nothing you know it's not just target shooting so I would say you can you can there are low cost um, bolt action rifles in great calibers uh, I mean are they super sexy super cool are they going to make movies about them no but they're very effective and can do that that's one of the nice things about precision rifle um, and uh, you know that, that whole precision rifle fad or phenomenon that that has happened you know some of that technology has has filtered down even into you know the uh savage axis and the ruger uh, american and and some of these you know what we would consider to be kind of the lower cost and the techniques of you know what of of the uh, synthetic stocks you can even upgrade older rifles Um, and improve them so you know that's one way to go you know go down to your local gun shop look for used bolt-action rifle and then um, do a little research and see if you can get the kind of things that would upgrade it that might be a way to go Uh, another way to go which is kinda my (coughs) pardon me favorite way to go is hey there you know the AR market is is kind of you know there's a lot of them on the market now i won't say the market's flooded but there's a lot of 20 inch ars out there on the market you don't have to buy the the highest end manufacturer but you can buy a 20 inch ar and put some sort what put the optic of your choice on it and your budget and you have a dmr rifle there basically you've you've got a good one um you can shoot some match grade ammunition especially if it's 556 um you know that's that's kind of a ready-made solution right there and it will reach out and touch beyond um, open sight or, or even you know kinda of combat optic um, you know ze- the, uh, the zero power combat optic range and uh, there you go that's what I would do I the one that I have which is most like that is I actually have a DP DPMS, Yeah, DPMS. Uh, A2 uh, clone. And it's carry handle. And it's got uh, an ACOG on top. And it is, it is excellent. Now, a lot of people, the funny part is a lot of people go, man, that's mounted too high. Because that's what they see in the gun press. And that's the conventional wisdom. However, when you get down behind it, Prone, um, it works just right. I mean, it is, you know. And think about that. And and here's the thing to think about: think how many people, in order to shoot prone or even even shooting, you know, from from standing position or a kneeling position, how many people have put a riser on the their flat top AR so that their optic is up higher. So in other words, it's now it's it's probably not as high as is one i have but it's fine it works fine for me i like it um i think it's a great i think it's a great use for that uh that rifle it it fits right and it uh it's not too bulky you know like all all rifles get a little bulky and a little awkward when you put an optic on them but it's not that bad so anyway that's uh that's kind of what i i have that i would say is a dmr that uh you know you can you can get those 20 inch barrel guns they're they're available now so that's what i would go for and you know whatever fits in your budget fits in your budget okay here's our last question is gun technology slowing down and this is kind of a longer treatise here so i will i will try to summarize it uh the ar system which is still essentially current in most in many of the world's armies um, is from the late 1950s. The AK, which is still prevalent around the world, really started out in the late 1940s and even other weapons such as the G3 and FAL, although they've passed kind of into second-line use or, or out of use, uh, they still haven't really been eclipsed by any, any modern designs that are successful and it's and parenthetically it was the scar you know so i would uh i would sit there and i would say this happens in history um when you look back and, and without going back into matchlocks and and hand cannons and all this but you look at the brown best musket that came out in the early 1700s now it went through some tiny you know kind of developmental changes but it didn't really pass out of service until the early 1840s and that's the flintlock version you know everybody kind of assumes that the minute percussion caps were invented uh, that everything changed and well it didn't because there were thousands and thousands of these smooth bore flintlock muskets in use around the world and they had been since these you know 1700s so the the Brown Bess was actually in service uh, 130 years, probably. Now, granted, it changed slightly, and they made her long. some that were longer, some that were shorter, and some that were in the middle, and I think they decided on the ones that were in the middle. Um, but the basic thing of smoothbore, flintlock, musket, there was about 70 anywhere from 69 to 75 caliber those that was standard around the world for well over 100 years so that you know that's where technology just absolutely stopped and just kind of you know they kind of refined things then you look at like say queen victoria's reign i think she started in what 1837 or something brown bess is still in use granted it's slowly being replaced but it's still in in pretty widespread use in the british army anyway and uh you go from that to she was she died in like 1901 so she there's already on the when she died she was on the second iteration of the bolt action magazine rifle they went from lee metford to lee enfield i think so um you know that's a big deal go look at a go look at basically the uh smle which came out a little bit later a little bit after she died look at that in a brown bess and realize those things were probably 70 maybe 75 years apart and you go wow that's a real inclination because in the, in the, the, in between those two going backwards, you have the Martini, you have the Snyder, you have the, you know, the Enfield rifle muskets. uh, You have the, you know, the, actually the percussion smoothbore musket, which replaced the Brown best, then the Brown best. So you're looking, you're looking at an iteration of of probably um, at least seven, seven or eight firearms in there that, that happened. So that's like, almost like every, if you just kind of average it, it's almost like every 10 years, something, something newer was, was popping out. We haven't had that kind of thing. They've tried, but they really can't, there really isn't the technology breakthrough. The breakthroughs have been in sighting systems, uh, ammunition, uh, yeah, especially night vision and thermal thermal vision and just the uh, ability to amount that's always been the the problem of weapons that were designed up until recently is that putting an optical sight on them has been a big problem so uh, you know usually requiring a, a kind of a complex system which usually it, it usually it works but it's not ideal certainly not as good as the uh, rail system that we see on top of ars now so um yeah the um, weapons technology has slowed when it comes to the basic you could take you could take a 1960s m16a1 lower receiver and you could put an m4 top on it and put an M4 um, adjustable buttstock on it, and you could not tell it from a regular M4 uh, performance-wise. There are a couple little clues on the the um, lower receiver's got a few little contour differences, but you couldn't tell the difference. That that is incredible. That is incredible. Uh, the AK system, I would say, is out there because so many of them were made and they've they've tried to refine it and, and upgrade it but still you look at the pictures coming out of Ukraine and what do you see you see AK-74 and AKM that's what you see um, I'm sure there's a lot of other things there but a lot of the photographs I see are those two things so they're obviously still you know propagated everywhere you know that's that's probably the baseline that everybody has and more, more exotic weapons are probably much more rare. So, yes, we are slowing down. What will be the next, the next thing? I do not know. And uh, I don't, you know. There's also a, a research and money part of this. You know, when you think about it, you think about the 1860s think about the late 1860s 1870s 1880s 1890s early 1900s um, you know one of the biggest expenditures an army can make is on its long arms i mean yes it uh they wanted pistols and yes they needed cannons but you know and then the navy wanted ships later on you know they wanted the the uh the nascent air forces one of the rickety airplanes but really uh, it was a big deal if you landed a rifle contract for a large country or they they got you or they adopted your design and you got a uh, royalty from it that was huge nowadays it's not that huge they're going and just kind of buying off the shelf and there's so many other competing competing programs that um It doesn't have the emphasis it does and maybe that's contributed to the slowdown also that uh yeah there's still companies out there coming up with this and that but there isn't the impetus that people think there is um because of the uh the defense dollars just aren't there um and if you do get that hey you know so it's however many millions of dollars but making uh making tanks is probably a lot more and missiles and jet fighters and jet bombers is a lot more is a lot more lucrative and that's that's where a lot of the emphasis is going Uh, so you know maybe the part of that slowdown has just been that hey there's so many other competing things that you buy and you look at you know and you look at this maybe it's slowing everything down maybe the variety of things we have like look at the m1 tank that is a forty some year old system now and to think about when you look at the history of tanks to see any tank that could last forty years is incredible it's just absolutely incredible but yet here we are yet here we are and you go to the Ukraine and you see that even older tanks are being pressed in the service for as assault guns or, or, or for whatever uses um, or that frankly that having An older tank is better than no tank, so therefore they have them. Uh, They're using them. Both sides are. So maybe there's a general slowdown everywhere, except with the highest-end things like fighter planes. Um, Maybe there's just a general slowdown. I mean, uh, I was actually surprised that the Army got rid of the M9 pistol and got the M17 i actually think that the reason they did that was there were a couple of reasons number one is they just style wise the the beretta 92 looks older and I, I think a lot of militaries the u.s military didn't really care for that i think they're getting smaller soldiers now with a greater influx of females and and uh, for other reasons i think maybe they thought that the grip was too fat you know, whatever the reason, they I was actually surprised they did it because, frankly, I didn't think it was worth doing. I think it should have just bought more Berettas, you know, but that's the uh, thing. And it just shows you that something like the 1911 would never have been adopted today because the recoil the uh, and the other stuff. So, yeah, that's that's what's happening there. So, yes, there has been these, uh, these slowdowns. The more you kind of think about it, it's like, yeah, that's really interesting um where a nation who makes a decision where to really put your money because you can't buy everything you can't have everything so the prioritization um which is driven by should be driven by doctrine of how you're going to fight that'll tell you what tools that you actually need and what you're balanced against what your threats are um that's that's gonna that's an interesting question and i don't think rifles Really are they're a priority but not a high priority. Well that's it for this edition of Old School Guns. Again, if you have any questions or comments, you can email them to me at KBMAKEL at AOL.com or leave them in the comments section on Podbean. But until next time, this is Old School Guns out.